Hello. It's good to see everybody. Will you stand with me as we begin our time of worship? Uh, we're going to start here in Psalm 108. If you would read this with me. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will wake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Amen. God, we come uh, before you today. and we, we don't come out of compulsion or obligation. Uh, we don't come because our attendance here gains us favor in your sight. But God, we come together today to worship you for who you are as an overflow of our thankfulness because you have provided for us all that we need and our hearts rest assured in your faithfulness today. That while we were still your enemies, we were sinners, you sent your son to die for us, a sinner's death, to pay for our sins. And that all who call on you as Lord uh, will be with you for eternity. So God, today, may you be exalted on the praises of your people. And let your name be glorified above all else. In the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you. 
Amen. Let's praise him, church. Amen. Praise God. So good to be here with you this morning. You can go ahead and be seated uh, here for just a moment. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome. So glad to have you all here this morning. If you're here today for the first time as our guest, my name is Taylor Burgess. I serve here at Cross as lead pastor, uh, and we're honored to have you worshiping with us during these crazy, masked, limited in-person times, and really glad that you made the cut for registration this week uh, and getting here with us this morning. But uh, those of you who are be joining us online, we welcome you as well. Glad to have you worshiping with us later throughout the day. And uh, as we begin our time of worship together this morning, just a few things I want to be able to highlight uh, as we get started. First thing is that if you are a first-time guest, we hope you stopped at the tent that's outside on your way in this morning. And if not, uh, we really hope you'll stop there on the way out because we have a, a small gift that we'd like to give you. We'd love to be able to say thank you for coming here today, getting to know you and your family, and, and hearing about your story just a little bit. We're, we're honored to have you here today as our guest uh, and would have, love to have the privilege of meeting you here as we wrap things up um, in just a little while. Uh, and then for everyone as you came in this morning, you should have found one of these Next Steps cards on your seats. Um, these are important because they're one of the, the number one ways that we stay in community with you as a church family. So uh, if you have prayer requests that you want to share, our, our staff, our prayer team come around those every single week. Um, if you're interested in getting connected through our church, with our church family through a community group, um, these are small groups that meet in homes 
all throughout Buford throughout the course of the week. Um, and even with a lot of limitations we're facing, our, our community groups are continuing to drive forward. Um, we would love to get you connected there because that is the very best way to get connected within our church family uh, is by joining a community group. So uh, you can fill out one of these Next Steps cards this morning and you can drop those in the box that's in the lobby on your way out today. Um, those of you who are watching online, if you're watching on Facebook, there is a link to this video with an online Next Steps card. Uh, you can fill that out. Our staff will follow up with you throughout the course of the week. If you're watching on Vimeo at a different time, go to our website, crosscommunity.org. Click the Next Steps box that's on the home screen there, and that'll take you to where you need to go for the Next Step form uh, as well. And we'll do all that we can to make sure that we get you connected uh, within our church body. Um, as we begin our time together this morning, today we're privileged to have a couple of special guests with us. Um, many of you may remember, uh, this is uh, maybe difficult for some to remember, and some of you may not know being newer, but a year to, about a year ago now, we launched a two-year uh, capital campaign effort called For the Gospel. And this effort has a couple of goals for us as a church family. So our short-term goal is to find a permanent facility. And so we are, Lord willing, getting a little bit closer to that. We have a property under contract that's going through a process of rezoning. And so we're continuing to navigate that over the next several weeks. Um, and that's a short-term goal that we're excited about. But a long-term goal that we're really excited about is that part of our For the Gospel effort was we had a goal within five years to plant or revitalize another church just like ours in Beaufort County. And then we have this big vision goal 10 years down the road by the end of this decade as a church to be planting or revitalizing one new church every single year. That's a big vision, and, and that's what we believe the Lord is leading us to long-term is multiplication. Another goal is establishing locally a ministry training center for equipping um, so that we can really facilitate and have the structure that's going to be necessary to, to be able to fulfill a big vision like that. And we know uh, that that's something that we can absolutely not do on our own. So uh, two years ago... Our church family became a member church of what's known as the Pillar Network. We have uh, talked about this. If you've been through our membership class, you, you've heard a little bit about Pillar Network and our involvement there. And uh, Pillar is a, a network of church planting churches um, all throughout the Southeast, really all across the U.S. now and even international uh, as, as well. And two years ago, we, we began this partnership. And um, so this morning, we're welcoming uh, Zach Nelson, who's the executive director of Pillar, along with Nate Aiken, uh, who is the Associate Director of Pillar. And here in just a few moments, Zach is going to come uh, take a little bit of time to share about what Pillar is and what the mission and the vision of Pillar is and how we as a church fit into that mission and vision. And then Nate is going to be bringing the word for us today um, from Acts chapter 2. Um, Zach Nelson and I actually have a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a history. We grew up at the same church uh, at Mount Vernon Baptist in Boone, North Carolina. Zach's several years older than me, but actually I grew up in my parents' Sunday school class and then uh, was a... a uh, um, uh, youth ministry intern when I was in eighth grade. Um, so if you really want to know, Zach's your guy. You can, you can go talk to him after service today, and I'm sure he'll have some stories. But um, grew up in the same church and had not seen each other for, for about 13, 14 years probably. And then uh, it's actually as I was walking out of the restroom at the Together for the Gospel Conference in Louisville in 2018, we crossed paths. And uh, that we just know now that that was a, a divinely orchestrated appointment from the Lord because we started a conversation there about Cross becoming a Pillar Network church. And we wrapped up that process a couple years ago. And so what I want to do now is invite Zach to come up and share uh, for the next several minutes just about what Pillar is and how we as a church fit into that and some of the mission vision as they move forward. So Zach, let's welcome Zach this morning. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Cross Community Church, that's right. Uh, it's a great blessing to be here with you this morning. And Taylor, uh, thank you so much for the kind words, the introduction. 
Um, and yes, it's the providence of God that we met outside of a restroom a couple years ago. Uh, it's also the providence of God uh, that Taylor had an amazing godly dad that poured his life into me as a Sunday school teacher and was extremely instrumental in my life and just sharing the gospel week after week after week, discipling me alongside my parents in such a way that eventually led towards me coming to know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And so I just want to thank you, Taylor, um, for one, your life, your testimony, God's amazing grace, and in many ways now generationally how that baton has now been passed down from a godly set of parents now to a son that's living out the gospel here in the low country kind of area uh, and God's seen fit now to plant an amazing, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting church in your neighborhood. And so that's deserving of a round of applause, guys. And so please know this, um, your testimony of your church uh, just doesn't end here. You've got churches all over South Carolina, North Carolina, all over the Southeast that have been watching the life and the doctrine of your young five-year-old church plant. And in many ways, we are rejoicing because what we've seen is we've seen God do an amazing work here. We've seen a church be planted that's solidly laid a stake on God's Word, where expositional preaching is taking place week after week, where leaders are being raised up, where healthy pastoral leadership is taking place, and you as members, the saints here, are committed to fulfilling the Great Commission. And so we just want to thank you as the Pillar Network and for this testimony that y'all have been living out. As a partner church within the Pillar Network, you are one of 129 churches within the SBC and also internationally that have covenanted together around doctrinal alignment, common mission, and equipment and, and commitment to equipping those within your local churches to be raised up and sent out for the purpose of planting churches and also revitalizing churches, not just here and throughout South Carolina, but all over the U.S. and now also internationally. This is a mission that each of our churches are committed to living out. In order for us to see this vision come to reality, it takes our churches remaining committed to really three overarching biblical principles that lead towards a healthy church. And if the church in any way lacks faithfulness in these three principles, then the church in and of itself is going to suffer in its health. And so these three things in many ways are apparent here at your church. You're an equipping or you're a disciple-making church. This is evident. It's evident by the fact of those that continue to come week after week to hear the Word of God preached in an expositional fashion. It's committed uh, by the fact that I hear from your student minister, Cole, of the work that's taking place amongst your students within your small group life as you covenant together in meeting with one another and knowing and living out the gospel. You're also a kingdom-minded multiplying church. And I can say this is because you have decided not just to do this alone. You're a church that does not want to be an island, but you want to be in relationship with other like-minded churches that desire to partner together to make disciples for the purpose of sending them out. Not just keeping them, but sending them out to strengthen other churches that are dying and also planting new churches. And you're also a generous church. The Pillar Network has been a recipient of this generosity. 
But a calling of being a generous church really is saying that we want to give what God has blessed us with, our best. We want to give it away for the sake of others, for the sake of strengthening the bride of Christ everywhere we come in contact with and internationally. And in January 2012, in many ways, this has uh, defined the commitment of what is the Pillar Network. Five churches came together, one in Raleigh, one in Boston, two in South Carolina, and one in Miami. These churches were committed to equipping, planting, and revitalizing and giving generously of their time, talents, and treasures through sending people and resources to fulfill this task. And the Pillar Network is a testimony, yes, of God's grace and God's kindness, but also a testimony of autonomous, confessionally Baptistic churches that are cooperating together towards this end and for this purpose. And so this is our, our desire for you. We want the testimony of the Pillar Network just to continue in many ways, as the baton has been passed from these five churches, which now are influencing close to 130 churches all over the U.S. and internationally, that same responsibility is being entrusted to this local congregation. And the Lord's blessed this young church, right? It's really apparent. He's given you godly pastors and a staff that have shepherded and cared well for this flock. They've instilled healthy DNA that has prioritized preaching and the teaching of God's Word. Gospel ministry is alive and well at Cross Community Church. As 1 Timothy 3.15 says, you know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. Your church is a pillar or a buttress of truth. As you begin moving into this next season of your life, we want to be an encouragement to you. And we want you to know that the responsibility that's been entrusted in you is now to take this task and to plant churches all over the low country and to breathe the gospel breath, in many ways the gospel truth that has made this church so healthy. We want you to take the people here and give them away to other churches that are going to be dying and struggling in the area. That's an amazing mission. It's an awesome mission that Taylor has just shared with your congregation and has been sharing over and over again. And so I'm going to be praying with y'all that this is a vision that comes true. It's one that all of our churches will be partnering with you to see this task taking place. I want to close just one minute with uh, an encouraging story um, just to share a little bit about some other churches within your network just so that you know what's going on. I received a phone call two weeks ago uh, from one of our church planters in Miami. His name is Eric. And Eric had just recently had uh, lunch with another partnering church planter in the Miami area. And over lunch, they were talking about their families. They were talking about life. They were also just sharing a lot of struggles that the pandemic has caused um, and uh, just trying to think through the wisdom of what that looks like to lead a church during this time. Eric then, after that conversation, decided to shoot me a text and said, Zach, my brother Matt Diaz, who's this in our network, um, his church is really struggling. Now, as many of you know, Miami has been one of the epicenters of the coronavirus. Uh, he said their church uh, has not 
been able to meet face-to-face and probably will not be able to meet face-to-face for some time. Um, A number of families in his congregation have lost their jobs, and some of their families have had to uh, search for jobs outside of the city, and it's caused them to move away. Due to that, there's been a shortfall in their budget of close to $36,000 this year. And they're thinking through what is the role of their lead pastor. Um, I pick up the phone shortly after that, uh, after I received that text, and I called Matt. And Matt said, man, I'm, I'm considering really going back full-time in sales and um, want to just think through wisely what that would look like for our, for our church to release me uh, to work full-time. And through a number of different conversations, we said, well, let's just see what the Lord is uh, going to be doing. Let's not rush to any conclusions. Let's let a need like this be made known um, amongst our network of churches. So we put out uh, a newsletter. Any of y'all, if you want to join this newsletter, you can go to our website and sign up. Um, But uh, we put out just a need, didn't even mention the church by name, but just saying, churches, if you've been blessed during this period in time, please consider giving to a church plan in our network uh, that may be struggling or suffering. Within two to three days, we had seven of our churches reach out by email to me. I had a chance to have follow-up conversations, and they've more than raised $36,000 for the sake of being able to keep this pastor full-time over the next year. He planted in 2018 Uh, His church will most likely be moving towards becoming self-sustaining by the end of 2021 if the coronavirus hopefully doesn't keep that from taking place. And so I want you to know this. This is just one way that a network of like-minded churches that think about the, the health of a local church in the same way are partnering together to continue the equipping and the sending out of churches all over this nation. So thank you for your investment. And thank you for being a part of the network. Thank you, Zach. And um, to use that this morning just as a bit of a segue, we uh, worship this um, every, every single week, again, not just through our, our singing, our preaching of the word. We worship through our giving. And one way your giving is already going to work is that we as a congregation, we have 1% of our budget that goes directly to the Pillar Network. So even through our giving, uh, we as a church are already participating in this work of church planting, of multiplication, of church health uh, all over this nation. And we know that Pillar Network is going to be a key uh, player for us and a key partner for us as we move forward in this long-term vision of, of planting and revitalizing other like-minded churches uh, in the low country and beyond. So uh, all the information for how you can give is available should be available on the screen behind me. There you go. And, uh, and so you can check that out. We do have giving envelopes available out in the lobby if you want to give by cash or check instead this morning. But thank you for your generosity. Um, when we started our capital campaign last year, there's a reason we said it wasn't called the For the Building campaign. It's the For the Gospel campaign. Because while a building is a part of that, our, our desire more than anything is to continue our mission of preaching the gospel and of making disciples. And just to, to celebrate this morning, your church, we've really not pushed this campaign a lot these last five, six months. There's been so much else going on, and we don't want to be insensitive uh, to the challenges that our nation's facing right now. But you have continued to very faithfully give. We are actually still uh, slightly ahead of pace on our two-year campaign. Uh, and to date, you've now given over $375,000 to the For the Gospel campaign. So let's celebrate that together um, this morning as a, as a church. And, uh, and on that note, I'm just going to invite you to go ahead and stand, and we're going to continue this morning in worship. Alone in my sorrow. 
Jesus. 
Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Matt Cave. I'm one of the elders here at uh, Cross Community. Um, and I just want to start that, you know, we're, we're starting a series on Acts 2 uh, today. And I just want to share my, my heart a little bit with for, for Acts chapter, really all the book of Acts, but Acts 2 in particular. And I just want to know, this is, this is really my, my prayer for the church right now. And I'm not talking about Cross Community, although we're part of it, but I'm talking about the bride. I'm talking about the body of Christ. That, and with all the with all the craziness, with everything that's going on right now, and you've heard Taylor's mentioned it a couple of times in, in in sermons lately. That, like, this is what if this is God's plan? What if this is the awakening that the world needs? And Acts two is a picture of that. And it's a it's my prayer that we would step up and we would be ready for when God calls us to do that. And uh, uh, I just wanted to share uh, that a little bit. And it really that it comes to, you know, thank you both of you so much for being here, that the Pillar Network is, is a part of how that happens, that we can't just sit here. We can't just be by ourselves in our, in our community or just our church. Or we have to join hands with all of those that would call Christ Father and and, uh, and our Savior. So that's my prayer. Um, so please, uh, you're already standing, so never mind. I was going to ask you to stand. Uh, let's, get, let's get into Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2, the reading today is uh, uh, verses 42 through 47. Please read along with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray. Father, I give you thanks this morning that we can look at a picture like Acts 2 and we can see what your church was designed for. We can see what our mission is, that your most basic, the apostles, the, the earliest believers in your son, Jesus Christ, knew this. And let us remember that, Lord. Let us remember that you are the way. And this is your awakening. This is your time. And that our hearts should be open to this. Lord, I ask you to bring your Holy Spirit as you did in Acts chapter 2 and fill this room with your glory. Fill our hearts and fill our minds with your word this morning. I pray for Nate as he delivers the sermon. Lord, I thank you for all of our blessings. It's in your son Christ's most holy name. Amen. Amen. Of God's word will be in Acts chapter two, and as you're turning there, or, or turning your phone on, or whatever device you use, let me also bring greetings uh, in the name of our Lord, and also greetings from the the churches that make up the Pillar Network. It's been a joy to be here this weekend and get some time with Pastor Taylor and some of the other leaders. It's a joy to partner with you guys for the sake of the gospel, uh, and it is a wonderful privilege to be able to now address you from the scriptures. I, I love this text. There's so much here that we'll hit as much as we can, but it is a um, helpful reminder to what we are called to in the local church. And so in, in light of that, as we give our attention to the book this morning, I want to consider from Acts chapter 2 what I might say is 
the peculiar way by which God advances his kingdom in the world. And the reason I say it like that is because God has chosen his church as his way of advancing the kingdom. And that's peculiar to me because that means that God has chosen us, which means that God has entrusted his mission in the world. He has entrusted it to sinners. And yet, isn't that part of the grace of God? That what we have in the gospel, that he gives us this mission. And isn't it a testament to the power of God that he could use even men and women like us to accomplish his purposes in the world? In light of that, we're going to examine five devotions of what I would call a vibrant or healthy or dynamic or multiplying church, which also means we're going to look at five devotions of a healthy and dynamic Christian, because after all, we know the church is made up of people. The church is not a building. Uh, But we're going to look at these five devotions this morning that come straight out of Acts chapter 2 as we consider uh, our plan, uh, God's plan and our part in his plan in the world. So again, I'm going to pray briefly just to ask for God's help, and then we'll just work our way through the text uh, this morning. Uh, Father, now as we, certainly as we give our attention to the book, I ask that you would have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Father, now would you help me to preach with Confidence in your word and clarity for the good of your people, but also for the sake of the name of Christ in the world. And so, Father, now would you sanctify us in the truth? Father, we know your word is truth. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So several years ago, I was planting a church in Raleigh, and there were a bunch of members in my church who kept coming up to me and saying, there's these books you really have to read. There's this book that's come out. You really need to read this book. And the name of the book was The Hunger Games. Now, me being a former athlete and an American, I waited for the movie to come out. Here's a little bit of the plot of the movie. In case you haven't seen it, there will be some spoilers, but it's been out for like eight years, so there's, that's a little bit on you. But Here's the movie. You have this evil government, and the country that they have power over is broken up into about 13 different districts. And one of the ways they oppress the people, show their power over the people, is that every year from every district, they'll bring two teenagers into the capital city for these gladiator-type games, or what are called the, the Hunger Games. And this is televised for the entire country to see. Now, the main character in the movie is this girl named Katniss, and during these gladiator games, she befriends this girl named Rue. Rue is from another district, not from Katniss's uh, district, but they form this friendship and sort of form this alliance trying to help one another survive during these games, and yet during the course of the games, Rue is killed. And in that moment, as she is laying there, Katniss, to show love and respect, sort of performs this little burial um, ceremony for Rue. She takes these flowers and places places them around her body. And and while she's doing this, she turns to one of the cameras, these cameras that are, you know, letting the whole country see this atrocity. She turns to the camera and she makes this little gesture. And this gesture is a a common thing that they would do in Rue's district. It would be a gesture that would show love and admiration and respect and honor of a person. And what she does is she turns to the camera and she does this little three-finger salute to the camera. Again, this sign of love and respect from Rue's district. And immediately when that happens in Rue's district, there is this rebellion that rises up against the evil government. But eventually it is put down. Now, I was so interested in the story after watching the movie that I actually bought the second book on audio tape to make sure I didn't have to read that one either. No, I promise I can read. Uh, I have a seminary degree. But 
In that book, what happens is they're taking the winners of the Hunger Games throughout the different districts to show them off to the country. And when Katniss and the other winner get to Rue's district, what they do is again, in, in order to show her love and respect for Rue, she once again does this three-finger salute to the crowd and immediately again a rebellion rises up against the evil government. It's interesting to me that a small thing like this gesture, like this three-finger salute, is now sparking a rebellion against the evil government. A seemingly simple thing is a sign to the world of rebellion against this evil and wicked order. You know, as you read the New Testament, the church is a lot like that. The church in the New Testament is pictured as a band of rebels, a band of sojourners who are rebelling against, operating against, pushing back against an evil world order under the sway, Paul tells us, of the wicked one. Therefore, local churches, like Cross Community, are outposts or little embassies of the coming kingdom that are rolling back the kingdom of darkness. We see this taking place now as people are converted, and at their conversion, they are transferred from this evil empire into the kingdom of the beloved son. But it is not only our conversion that shows this off, it is our lives together in the church whereby we give the world just a glimpse of what the future is going to look like where we give the world just a glimpse of what Christ's kingdom looks like. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is striking to me. We signal our rebellion. We push back darkness. We signal our allegiance to the coming king. We give evidence to his coming global reign by being marked by and devoted to just a few simple things. And yet, in keeping with the irony of how God works, these simple things end up turning the world upside down. In fact, our brother Luke will detail for us in the rest of Acts that these little kingdom outposts will send people out who plant churches. They send missionaries out who make disciples, plant healthy churches. And the watching world is so shaken up by it that by the time Paul and his group get to Thessalonica, it is said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And what I want us to see this morning with eyes of faith is that if we will be marked by these devotions, and we will be intentionally involved in God's mission, we will do our part in turning the world upside down also. My main idea this morning is this. God uses the devotions of the local church to advance his kingdom in the world. Now, this is important as we think about the importance of church planting this morning. God's chosen means by which he is reconciling the world to himself, his chosen means by which he is accomplishing the great commission in the world is the local church. This is how the gospel got from Jerusalem to Beaufort, and it's how it's going to get from Beaufort to Istanbul. 2,000 years ago, from a hole in the ground to Beaufort, South Carolina in 2020, it got here through the planting of healthy local churches. And so this morning, I want to look at what sort of church will turn the world upside down, and that is through these five devotions. Devotion number one, in verse 41, we must be devoted to the gospel. Our brother Luke writes this, so those who received his word, talking about Peter, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. In verse 41, Peter's word is the gospel that he has just preached at Pentecost. Taylor will look through this next week. And we see something that is vital to the establishing of churches, and that is this, the preaching and proclamation of the gospel creates the first church. The gospel has touched down in power so that thousands are turning from sin to God and they are immediately formed into the first church, this new outpost, this new family, what you might call God's family. Gospel proclamation then is 
necessary both for the conversion and discipleship of the people of God. You might say it like this, the gospel is necessary both for our salvation and our sanctification. And that's because the gospel, yes, it forms the church, the gospel shapes the church, the gospel sustains and sanctifies the church, and yes, the gospel goes out from the church. Here, Peter is proclaiming the gospel for their salvation. But the rest of the New Testament, Paul and others are giving the gospel to believers, writing to local churches made up of Christians so that they can have the gospel for their sanctification. And that is because the goal of every church, we can all have different kinds of vision and mission statements, and we all do, but the purpose of the local church is that we will see more and deeper disciples. We need more disciples, and we need all of our disciples to become deeper followers of Jesus Christ. Now, as we talk about being devoted to the gospel, I don't want to assume this morning that everybody in here knows the gospel. It's very easy sometimes to assume the gospel, and it's also likely, hopefully, that some have come in this room this morning that are unbelievers. And so I don't want to move on without talking about this gospel message that we are to be devoted to. And the gospel message really boils down to a message of substitution. We in our sin have tried to put ourselves in the place of God. God, in his grace and kindness, instead puts himself in our place. And so here is the gospel message. In the garden, our parents willfully rebel against their creator, the one who has given them life. He has told them, do not eat from this tree. And yet they rebel. They take fruit from this tree. They are told by the serpent, by Satan himself in that moment, if you will eat this fruit, listen to what he says here. He says, you will be like God. They tried to put themselves in the place of God. They shook their fists in the very one who had given them life and breath. And because of that, they plunged the world into a fall, into a curse. And three primary things are broken because of their sin. First, our relationship to God is broken. So that where once human beings used to commune with God in the cool of the garden, they now have to hide themselves from God. We no longer can come into the presence of a holy God because of our sin. But not only is our relationship with God broken, We see this very clearly in our world. Our relationship with one another is now broken. There in Genesis 3, it is said that now the husband and wife will have conflict and war. And it's so bad that just one chapter later, a brother will strike down his own brother. But not only is our relationship with God broken, not only is our relationship with one another broken, the relationship with creation itself is broken. The creation is fractured. It's pictured there in Genesis 3 that now thorns and thistles will come out of the ground to show the curse of the ground, to to frustrate our work. And these things are broken. These things are very clear to us. And every single one of us who have come after Adam and Eve, our parents, has willfully also walked in the rebellion and sin and wickedness of our parents. But the good news of the gospel is that there is a promise made there. An ancient promise that someday God would send somebody born of woman who would crush the serpent's head, who would fix everything that is broken in Genesis chapter 3, who would overcome sin and death itself. And yet throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, the question is, is it Moses? No, he sins and he dies. Is it David? No, he sins and he dies. Is it Solomon or any of David's sons? No, they sin and die and there is nobody who can turn it back until we come to a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who interestingly, by his miracles, is able to show he has power over the curse. In fact, he will be on a boat at some point when the winds and waves will threaten to destroy mankind, destroy him and his disciples, and yet Jesus will stand up and say, be still, and they listen to him. Who is this man, they ask, that even the winds and waves obey him? And how does Galatians tell us that Jesus overcomes the curse? 
Galatians is very clear that Jesus overcomes the curse by becoming a curse for us. You see, in that moment, as Jesus takes our place, as he takes our curse, those thorns and thistles that would come out of the ground to frustrate the ground, Jesus takes those thorns and thistles. He takes them on his head. And Paul will tell the church at Corinth that he who knew no sin would become sin for us. He would substitute himself. He would become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that in him we might be made right with God. Our relationship with God is now restored. But also we would be brought into this family called the church. We are adopted into a new family so that now our relationship with one another is restored. And one day all of creation will be restored, Romans 8 tells us, at the coming of our king. All of this is ours in the gospel all made possible because of the substitution of the Son. It's why an old Baptist preacher named R.G. Lee would say it like this. At the cross, Jesus became for us all that God must judge so that we, by faith in him, might become all that God cannot. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel that saves us. This is the gospel that sanctifies us. And so we must be devoted to knowing it, treasuring it, proclaiming it both to ourselves and to one another in the church, but also proclaiming it to those in our neighborhoods because they desperately need to know that there is a king who can transfer them from one kingdom to another. Devotion number two, we must be devoted to the Bible. Verse 42 is sort of a summary statement of, of what follows in the, in the uh, verses below. But here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Verse 42 highlights this early church's devotion to the apostles' teaching. Now, for us, what we have now is the Bible, the, the word of God that the apostles have handed down to us. And the language, language here indicates this is not a passive devotion. There is an intense, intensely committed thing, a com intensely committed devotion to learning. And so it must be with us as well. The truth is not all of us are called to go to seminary, but every single person that's a Christian is called to be a theologian. They are all called, we are all called to learn about him and to love him and to know him through his word. And so as Christians, what we do, as the church, what we do is simply try to put ourselves underneath the authority of the Bible. Because it is what should inform us, it is what should form and shape our worldview. But that begs the question this morning, what is your authority? What are the things in your life that form and inform you? Is it the Bible? You know, there's lots of things that vie for our affections, that vie for our attention when it comes to being our authority. Some of those are our peers. Unfortunately, in our world in 2020, one of the things that is dominating the world as an authority is social media. And I don't have time to go on a rant about that, but I'll just say this. If social media is, what is your authority that's forming your worldview and it's not the Bible or the Bible preached by your pastors every week, you are building your worldview on wood, hay, and stubble. In many churches, it can be tradition. How we've always done things is our authority. Unfortunately, I think the one that's most close to us all the time is experience is what dominates our authority. Sadly, I know of too many pastors. I've grown up being a minister's son I know of far too many pastors who will preach certain things about the Word of God, and then one of their children will do something that contradicts that, and suddenly their preaching about the Word of God changes. And it's because they let their experience interpret the Bible rather than letting the Bible interpret their experience. The question, one of the questions we need to wrestle with this morning is when the Bible rubs up against something that we want, who wins? Or in that moment, is the Bible suddenly silent or redefined? Now, brothers and sisters, the scriptures are to be our authority. They're we, where we get our marching orders. And just think about the claim that we are making with the Bible. God wrote a book. And if that is true, 
We should devote ourselves to it. We must be devoted to the scriptures, to the Bible. Number three, we must be devoted to prayer. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. We'll get to that in just a second. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. The early church is committed to communing with God. And I'll just be honest with you this morning. Of these devotions, this is the one that I most often would say I struggle with. But the truth is, when it comes to prayer, it really is a matter of belief and unbelief. I mean, just think about it like this. Imagine you could pick anybody in the world that you, that you could talk to and get to spend some time with them. Now, I'm a basketball guy. I played some college basketball. If I could talk to anybody in the world, I would talk to Michael Jordan, who's better than LeBron James, by the way. That was for free this morning. Now, if I had the chance to talk to Michael Jordan and he would sit there and talk with me as long as I wanted to, do you think I would talk to him for just a few minutes? Or do you think I would talk to him as long as he would sit there? Well, brothers and sisters, we have unhindered and unlimited access to the man, to the one who actually created Michael Jordan. And yet, how often do I spend just a couple of minutes of prayer in the morning, a couple of minutes of prayer before bed, a couple of minutes praying before I eat? Could it be that I don't really believe there's power in prayer? Could it be that I don't really believe he hears me? Could it be that I don't really sometimes think he's there? Now, if we're going to be vibrant Christians, if we're going to be part of the kind of churches that will turn the world upside down, we need God's power through his spirit, and the way we gain access to that is through prayer. We see the result of it, verse 43. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The power of God is on display for this church in Jerusalem. That is why Samuel Chadwick would say this. The one concern the devil has is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Brothers and sisters, we must be devoted to prayer. Number four, we must be devoted to the church or one another. Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then 44 through 47 kind of unpack what that is. All who believed were together and had all things in common. The Greek, here, uh, Greek word here for fellowship is koinonia. It gives this picture of a close relationship. And it's very interesting, paying attention to what's happening in the text. There's a definite article in front of fellowship. It's not just that they're committed to fellowship in general. They are committed to the fellowship, meaning they knew who was a part of the church and they knew who was not a part of the church. They were committed to or devoted to one another. And again, this indicates an active participation, not a passive one. So often our partnership with one another in the church can be passive. That is not what's happening here. They are involved in each other's lives, and we're going to unpack that. So what did this commitment look like? Well, first it looked like the fact that they had unity. They were unified. It says there in verse 44, they were together and they had all things in common. We above all people should be a unified people. We should be way more unified than a sports team's fans are because we have one Lord and we have a common purpose. We cannot let division in because what Christ has done for us is far too costly and the mission he has given to us is far too urgent. It's also marked by radical generosity and care. Verse 45 is an amazing verse. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This family was marked by radical care and generosity for one another. It's so radical that if somebody in their midst had a need, they would be willing to sell something valuable to them so they could provide for them. And I just had to say this, this kind of what I would call radical family type care, 
kind of care that I would easily give to my mom or to my dad. But this kind of radical family-like care to somebody who is not your biological blood, that's the sort of thing that makes the world take notice. No wonder the Roman emperor Julian, he was an emperor known as Julian the Apostate, he said this about the early Christian, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impalis Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. And all see that our people lack aid from us. Brothers and sisters, healthy Christians are a radically generous people. They understand that they have been radically cared for in the gospel, and so they can radically care for others. This sort of generosity, as Zach has already said, is, the, is one of the main ways by which the Lord will advance his purposes in the world. Verse 46, they are marked by worship together. It says this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, listen to this, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Their church was marked by lives of worship together, both in big groups in the temple mount and by worship together in small groups in their homes. And this passage paints a much different picture of the church than I was taught in vacation Bible school. You know, we teach kids hand gestures that are a little misleading. There's hand gestures like this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. See all the people. What's the problem with that? That's a building. Steeples are sort of irrelevant. No, the church is the people on the inside. It's important for us to note the church is not a building and the church is not an event. The church is a people. The church is not something that you do and the church is not something you go to. The church is something that you are. And why does that matter? Because this text here is showing the church is a people on mission together. You know, this building could collapse tomorrow and, and cross community is going to be just fine. Now, as I have to often point out in churches, if we're all in here when it collapses, we're not going to be fine. But if we're not in here, cross community will still go on. It is vital that we hold two things in tension here. Even though the church is not in a building or an event, there is a unique glory to the gathering of the church. That's why Paul will tell the church in Corinth, he'll say this, the gathering of the church as they worship together is a place where unbelievers can come in and it says they will fall on their face and say, God is really among you. So the corporate witness of the church is important to maintain. In fact, we we're commanded to do that. But on the other hand, we also need to be clear, when we invite somebody to be a part of cross-community, we are not just inviting them to be part of a worship gathering, but we're calling them to be a part of a family that is on a mission together. No wonder sometimes people have the wrong view of heaven. People sometimes think that heaven is going to be a never-ending choir practice. That's not heaven. That's hell. No, I'm kidding. But life, is, life in heaven is going to be a lot like it is here. Only brothers and sisters in a place that has no even hint of sin. We certainly will sing together. We certainly will come together to worship our king, but we will also eat together and play together and fellowship together. I'm hoping that we're going to ride dolphins and pterodactyls together. We're going to do all kinds of amazing things, and what we do now is just a glimpse of what this future is going to look like. And the only way this is going to happen, the only way true discipleship is going to happen is if just like these people, day by day, we are in each other's lives, in the lives of our family members, sitting on their couches, eating their food and knowing their lives. This is how it was with the first church and it made the world take notice. Look what it says there. It says, because of this, they had favor with all the people. Now, this doesn't mean everyone in Jerusalem turned to faith in Christ, but what it does mean is that the watching world respected them and there was an attractiveness to their life together. And so one commentator said of the early church, I love this, just like their Lord, 
this young community of faith was now growing in wisdom and favor and stature with both God and man. Final devotion, we must be devoted to multiplication. And this gets back to verse 41 and verse 47. Verse 41, it's explicit. He preaches the gospel and people are added to their number. Verse 47, it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. It's implicit there. They, they are committed to sharing what has changed their life. This is what happens throughout the rest of Acts. The kingdom goes forward as leaders and ordinary people alike go about sharing the good news that Christ has come to offer his life as a ransom for many. This happens as local churches like Antioch in in Acts chapter 13, but local churches like Cross Community intentionally send people out to share the gospel, make disciples, and plant healthy churches. This is the pattern of Acts. This is how God chose to accomplish the Great Commissions. Local churches sending out teams to both start and strengthen the church. This is simply what we are trying to do at Pillar. We are trying to be a band of churches that come together for this task. But let me say this morning, it starts right here with you. You playing your part considering how you might be a part of one of these teams, considering about how you might pray for your leaders as they hope to multiply themselves. But it begins first and foremost with you right here in Beaufort, South Carolina, making disciples. Because the truth is, after all, we commend, we tend to commend, we definitely commend what we love and what we cherish. I just had my first child, and she's almost four months old, a little girl named Ada. I think there may be a picture of her. And I can't help but post pictures about her. I can't help but talk about her. because Why? Because I love her. Because I treasure her. So I talk about her. I mean, I can't even really go without telling people about my new favorite Netflix show. Well, brothers and sisters, that begs the question, by what we talk about and by what we post on social media, will people know that we love and cherish and treasure Jesus or so many other things? The good news this morning, too, in the text here is we don't have to worry about the results because it is the Lord who adds to our number daily those who are being saved. We simply need to be faithful to share that message, and we must go on commending what we cherish, the very one who has delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to these five devotions, we know that we're going to fail. And the good news this morning is that we have a Savior who didn't fail even once. And so we look to the one who so devoted himself to the word of God that he would, he would look the accuser in the eyes during his temptation and say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We look to the one who so devoted himself to prayer, to communing with his father, that it was said he would go out before daybreak to commune with him. To the one who taught us how to pray, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We look to this savior who was so committed to the mission, he left his heavenly home. And listen to this, he became man. God became a man, but he went a step further than that. God didn't just become a man, God became a servant, but he went even further than that. God did not just become a servant, God took our place on the cross. For the sake of the mission, for the sake of others, he would willingly go to the cross. And hour after hour, as the judgment of God touched down upon him at Golgotha, he stood in our place, taking the very punishment our sins deserve. Taking my place for my rebellion, for my wickedness, for my selfishness and my pride, for every even sinful thought I've ever had. Just think about that this morning. The man hanging there on the tree is the king of creation. We look to the one who so loved the church, who so generously cared for his bride that he would set his face like flint to that cross in order to save and sanctify his brothers and sisters. And what's amazing to me, 
on that Sunday morning when Jesus walks out of that Middle Eastern tomb, when he has got freedom in our hand, what does he say to our sister Mary? Oh, I love what he says. He says, go get my brothers. The very brothers who had just abandoned and denied him. Well, brothers and sisters, he is not just restoring our relationship to God. He's restoring our relationship to one another. We look to Jesus of Nazareth who has made a way for us by blood, who can forgive our sins and forgive our failures. And how do we know he can accomplish all that we need him to accomplish? Well, it's very simple. Jesus isn't dead anymore. The resurrection is a guarantee that Jesus is who he says he is, and Jesus can do every bit of what he says he can do. If you're here and you're not a Christian, he has made a way for you to be right with God. All you have to do is cry out to him, cry out for mercy, and he will receive you. We'd love to talk with you about that at the end of the service, if that is you. And then, brothers and sisters, what is our response this morning? I think it's simple. We commit ourselves to these things for the health of the church, but also for our growth as Christians and also for the expansion of the kingdom through churches like Cross Community and other pillar churches in the world. I want to close with this quote because I would say the church has looked a lot like this in other parts of the history of the church, and people have taken notice. This is from the second century, a man named Aristides. He's not a Christian, but he's talking to the king about the church, the early Christians. And here's what he says, and it sounds an awful lot like Acts chapter 2 to me. He said, Now the Christians, O king, by going about and seeking, have found truth. For they know and trust in God, the maker of heaven and earth, who has no fellow, who has no rival. From him they receive those commandments which they have engraved on their minds and which they observe in the hope and expectation of the world to come. They refuse to worship strange gods, and they go their way in all humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored, and they rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. He who has, listen to this, gives to him who has not unbegrudgingly and without boasting. They do not call brothers those who are bound by blood ties alone, but those who are brothers after the Spirit and in God. If they find poverty in their midst and they do not have spare food, they fast two and three days in the order that the needy might be supplied. It sounds an awful lot like Acts 2. Every morning and every hour they praise and thank God for his goodness to them and for their food and, and drink they offer thanksgiving. Such, O king, is the commandment given to the Christians and such is their conduct. Well, brothers and sisters, what an amazing description of the king's people. And you see very simple things like three finger salutes put the world on notice that the kingdom is on its way. As soon we know that the accuser of our brothers who accuses them night and day before our God, soon the accuser of our brothers will be thrown down and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And let's not be surprised when we're committed to a message like that, when we're committed to these kind of things that we don't see in the low country, people say those people from Beaufort, South Carolina who have turned the world upside down, they've come here also. Let's pray. Father, by the power of your spirit, would you make these things so? Father, we need your help. Help us, Father, even as we fail, Father, when we look to the forgiveness of the one who has made all of this possible. And Father, would you remind us now, as you reminded the church in Rome, that soon the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Stand as we continue to worship this morning.
Shackles are shattered 
Let's give him praise. Amen. Amen. So good. You can have a seat here for just a moment as, uh, as we wrap things up. And as you're having a seat, um, would you just join me in thanking Nate for such a strong word that he brought to us this morning? Appreciate it, Nate. Very much so. Thank you. Hey, don't forget as you leave today, there's a box out in the lobby right at the Next Steps table where you can drop these Next Steps cards. That's also where you can stop and learn more about how to get connected to community groups, different serving opportunities in our church family. Uh, last week, we kicked off about a six-week push uh, for volunteer teams. We are slowly, progressively uh, doing everything within our control just to begin or continue reopening our doors and, and phasing back into as much ministry as we can do uh, in, in this space. But we've got to retool all of our volunteer teams after about a five, six-month hiatus. And so our challenge is been, uh, you call Cross Community Home, we have a place for you to serve. And you can use that Next Steps card this morning. Uh, all of our staff are here available this morning. We'd love to be able to uh, talk to you about serving opportunities within our church if you have any specific questions. But use those Next Steps cards, uh, drop those in the lobby, and, uh, and we'll be following up with you throughout the course of the week. I um, also want to make you aware this morning, if you are in membership uh, at our church this past Thursday, you should have received an email informing you that we do uh, have a new elder candidate. That's Nate Schaub. I don't think Nate is in this service. So I'm pretty sure he's coming to the second today. If you don't know Nate, you can look him up online uh, via social media. But we uh, sat with Nate last week as I've been wrapping up a several months long process with him uh, for evaluation. And so you, uh, as members of the church, you have two weeks to email input. You can send that to our elder team. It's elders at crosscommunity.org. Uh, words of affirmation, encouragement, also any reason if you believe Nate would not be qualified to serve as an elder within our church, you have the opportunity um, to speak into that in the next couple weeks. If you did not get that email, check your spam folder. That happens sometimes. Go there first. If you're still not getting it, definitely let us know in the office. We want to make sure you're part of our membership emails uh, that are going out. So you have two weeks to respond to that. Would love any feedback that you have on Nate. And those of you who maybe are newer with us, and many of you as well, back in the spring, you had been on track to complete membership processes and things just got derailed. Uh, we do have our next membership class coming up Sunday, September 20th. Um, you can register for that online. Again, you can use these Next Steps cards, indicate that as well on this this week, uh, and we'll be glad to, to follow up with you um, throughout the course of the week. But uh, it's always a privilege to, to worship with you uh, every single week. Um, Zach and Nate are here. If you have specific questions about the Pillar Network, I know they'd love to answer this for you. We also do uh, have some information available at the Next Steps tables. There's a booklet that's there that's got a lot more info about the Pillar Network. And today really is just an introduction. Um, and you're going to hear a lot more about this partnership uh, as our church family continues to grow and as we try to fulfill the mission the Lord's given us um, here in Buford. So uh, that being said, let's stand together, uh, say our banner verse together from Psalm 45, 17 is a statement of our intent of who we desire to be as a church and then we will sing together as we close. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing.
Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Guys, we love you so much. It was great seeing you. We will see you next week.